do we equip our families with a biblical worldview? How do we prepare the next generation for life? How do I grow in my walk with the Lord and in my marriage? If you wrestle with these questions, you are in the right place to find answers. Welcome to the Entrusting the Faith podcast. I am excited today because uh, I am being joined by Dane Bundy. Dane is the founder and director of Stage and Story, uh, whose goal is cultivating the Christian imagination. He's also the director of fine arts at Regent School of Austin in Austin, Texas. Uh, He is just a dear friend, uh, follower of Christ, and so thankful to have Dane on the show today. Two quick items before we get to our interview. First, if you go to our website at entrustingthefaith.com. Scroll down to the bottom, sign up for our weekly emails so you know who is coming up on the podcast for the week and who you may have missed the previous week. Uh, You'll also get a free resource when you do, and you can find all our other podcasts on our website while you're there. Feel free to scroll through them, find other interviews uh, to really help you along the way. Uh, Second, this episode is just brought to you by my book, Leading While at Home, How Husbands and Fathers Can Biblically Lead Their Families. So if you've ever thought, man, I want to be a godly husband or father, I don't know where to start, or you've heard that you need to do something to equip your family, but you just don't know where to begin, well, if this is you or, you know, anybody you know, Leading While at Home will show you how you can love Jesus Christ, love and serve your wife and children, and take responsibility for discipling your family. You'll be encouraged and given action steps that you can apply so that you're moving forward. Okay, now let's jump into today's episode. Dane, welcome. Eric, it is uh, such a joy to be with you. You are uh, just such a great friend, and I'm, I can't think of anything more I'd like to do is talk about the Christian imagination than with you. <laughs> oh, I am excited too. I know we have had conversations over the years uh, about this topic, and just they're they're great and challenging and encouraging. So yeah, I'm so excited to introduce you to the uh, to my audience, and uh, I know they're going to be encouraged. Well, that's my prayer. That is my prayer. Awesome. So, just for those who are not familiar with it, what is Stage and Story, and what led you to start it? That's a great question. Well, Stage and Story is a ministry dedicated to connecting and equipping. Christians in the arts or those who are interested in the arts. They don't have to be a performer necessarily, but just someone who who enjoys the arts. And I also like to explain it like we're trying to cultivate the Christian imagination. And I'm sure we'll talk about what we mean by that idea of the Christian imagination, but but we like to uh, like to think that we cultivate the Christian imagination by by connecting Christians together. And uh, doing that through conferences and workshops and small groups, we each month have a uh, kind of a small group which we call the story group, and just we gather together and talk about Christ and culture and and the arts. And we also produce resources on our blog and our website and our podcast. Awesome, and we're gonna we'll make sure uh, to get those locations, those resource locations. We'll get those in the show. We'll get those in the show notes. If you're listening, just stay tuned. And and that information is is available. So what led you to really start Stage and Story? It was, it was an idea and now it's formed. Talk, talk us through that. Wow. Thank you. That's a great question. We 
I've been married to my wife for almost uh, 13 years, going on uh, 13 years in December. And our whole married life, we have taught in, in Christian schools. And while working together, she always taught in elementary and I always taught in the middle school and high school level. And together, we have been involved in the performing arts. And actually, this is pretty funny. We actually met at an audition for a play. So our first words to one another were lines from a play. And so it's just funny how God sovereignly works through uh, through our lives. But uh, we didn't know how we were going to use what we were studying at at school. We both studied theater and it was just something that we had loved from an early age. And as we started working together at these Christian schools, there was a need for a theater program. And so we said, we don't know anything about running a theater program, but that's okay. We'll figure it out. So we started a a theater program um, the first year of our marriage at a school. And God kept moving us to, to different schools across a number of different states. And we started more programs. So we, we've started and run three theater programs. And, and throughout all that process, we have started writing productions and uh, just trying to, to equip people to come behind us and keep those theater programs going. But, but some of the things that I noticed while working with these students was, well, the power of stories. I would be in class or I would be working with students on the stage and they would be talking about the movies that they have been watching or the television shows or the, the, the new exciting Broadway musical. And just fascinated by how powerful these stories were and how influential they were on my students' thinking. And there were, there were times when they would start talking about ideas and culture, taking on perspectives that I knew your parents didn't teach you that. You got this <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> and so it was just really moved by, by the power specifically of the stories, uh, of movies, of these Broadway shows. And in 2017, I had uh, connected a, a great friendship with a, a man named J.T. Wynn, and he was a, a businessman. And we just kept meeting every time I was in town and I shared with him my heart to to connect Christians who are in the arts and provide them with biblical training to think about the arts from a Christian perspective. And and he said, let's do it. And I was like, wait, what? And he said, let's do it. And so that was kind of the beginning of, of Stage and Story. And that year we held our first conference in California and we we gathered a bunch of Christians together who were involved in the arts. And from, from there, we have continued to produce content and provide opportunities for Christians to get training in the biblical worldview, especially as it relates to the arts. And it's just been such a joy and something that I think is a real need in our, in our present culture. Mm, I totally agree. Totally agree. Now, you talk about, you've mentioned it, uh, the Christian imagination. So how would you describe or define that and what makes it so important? Well, that's a great question. So I'll go ahead and 
break the term into two words. So we got Christian and then imagination. It's all begin with imagination. The imagination is the faculty that we all have, all human beings have, that allows us to see in our minds images and to experience with our emotions the past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. And not only what was and is right now, but what could be. So when you think about, I was imagining something, that doesn't just mean we are thinking about something that could be in the future, but it could be something I was imagining what I just said 10 minutes ago that caused great embarrassment. Or sometimes the faculty of the imagination allows us to to kind of think about what we're doing right now. So the emotions... Um, that we're we're feeling we may have felt in the past or the emotions that we might feel if we take a new job or we have this difficult conversation. And then what that would look like in images in our head, that's all the realm of the imagination. It's really a very powerful part of the human being. And so what does it mean to have a Christian imagination? Well, I would just say that a Christian imagination is going to be an imagination that's informed and guided by the Christian worldview or the Christian story. I like that. Informed by the Christian worldview. So within that idea of the Christian imagination, how what is one one or two ways that we can cultivate that Christian imagination and help develop it? Yeah, well, I think that the main way to cultivate a Christian imagination is to to practice. And what do we practice? We're we're practicing looking at what we create and what others create around us with this biblical perspective. And I think it's really important. We're in a we're in a culture that really values what we call creatives, those who are in creative industries, but I remember being at a conference, the the Hutchmoot conference with Andrew Peterson. And one of the first things that he said was, hey, guys, I really don't like the word creatives. And he said, why? Well, it's because everyone is a creative person. If you are made mm-hmm. in the image of God, you are a creative. And, and I like that. And And so I think it's important to kind of pause and just remember that if you are a human being, you are a creative person. And it may not look like you going home every day and painting a portrait of a landscape. It may look like you raising your children, or it may look like starting a business. These are all creative acts. And to, in a matter of speaking, to to be human means that creativity is part of, of who you are. And so how do we cultivate the Christian imagination? Well, I would say just first is that to emphasize the word Christian, how do we become more like Christ? Well, we drench ourselves with the knowledge of God. Uh, We know God intimately, we pursue after him. There's kind of a parallel way of seeing this. If we were to ask the same question, how do we, how do we become, how do we cultivate the idea of a Christian father. How do we become a better Christian father? How do we become a better Christian businessman? Well, the first thing that we would do is, is to become a better Christian, become more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that first idea is, yeah, we just drench ourselves with the knowledge of God. 
And then the second thing, when we're thinking about cultivating the Christian imagination, is this this word that has become really important to stage and story, and it's the word discernment. And I think that as Christians in a culture that is very much influenced by the arts. We often talk about how stories are the language of our culture. And rarely do we stop and ask, is that story true? We just often say, oh, that's his story. And and who am I to, to judge that story? But the problem is, is that stories do make truth claims. They are saying something about the world that we live in. And so I would say when we're talking about cultivating a Christian imagination, I think we need to approach the creativity, our own creativity, the creativity of others around us with discernment. And so here's just an easy example. When I'm thinking about watching a movie, it's easy sometimes to to look at that movie as a Christian in a lopsided way. So often Christians, we look at movies and we just look for the big three, sex, language, or violence. And we usually, depending on our age and our maturity, we would just stay away from it then. I think that as Christians, we can have more, more maturity as we approach as we approach movies. And I like to to think of it like this. When we when we approach art and we try and judge it, we try and think about it critically, I like to think about three things. Uh, the craft of this piece of artwork, the content of this piece of artwork, and then the impact that it has on us. So the craft, this often speaks of the quality of the of the artwork. So maybe we're looking at a film and I may assess what's the quality of the directing or or the writing and uh, or the the filming. And Christians should be asking about, those types of things, because it really matters. And then the content. I think Christians often gravitate towards this. Yes, certainly this would would speak to objectionable content, but also this idea of the filmmaker's perspective on the world or, or the worldview that's going to be communicated through the creation of, of this film. And then the third is this idea of this impact. When you're judging, assessing a film or a piece of art, you often got to just step back and ask yourself, what type of impact has this had on me? Uh, an emotional impact, an intellectual impact? And so that's kind of a a helpful, balanced way to, to look at how to discern art uh, as a Christian. And then finally, so we talked about, you know, drench yourself in the knowledge of God, uh, discern be discerning when you approach the artwork. And then I would just say, finally, this word frame. Um, When we look at art, especially art that has a story behind it, we need to compare and contrast this story with the story of God. And so I I like to think about the Christian worldview as not just a, a set of statements, but also a story. A, a redemptive story that has a beginning and an end. And this story is revealed to us through scripture. And many theologians, many Christians have talked about this story of God in, in four different movements. 
uh, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And so allowing God's story to frame all the stories that we participate in. And, and whether that's we're watching a movie or we're telling a story, it's comparing and contrasting all of these different stories that we're engaging with, with the final story, the authoritative story, and that's the story of God. So how do we cultivate the Christian imagination? I would say we, we drench, we discern, and we frame it. I like that. That gives just some very tangible steps as we look at art as we look at stories. And so for everybody listening, you know, if you're if you're a parent, if you're a spouse, you know, as we're looking at things in terms of not only what we intake for ourselves, but if we take a step back and say, okay, what what are the the types of things that are coming into our homes, you know, for our kids and everything else, those are things that we can start applying uh, as we evaluate those things and having conversations about those things, which is really good and very important. Earlier, you know, as you were talking about some of the lead up to starting stage and story, you know, you had mentioned, you know, you were you would have conversations with students, and they were you know, they were talking about movies and different things that that they had watched and they were engaging with. So. What are some films that you recommend Christians kind of think through? And we can we can kind of get to the thinking through part, you know, next or at, you know in conjunction with this. But what are some films that you you encourage them to think through? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, Eric. And usually, when I have conversations with Christians about movies and what types of movies we should be consuming and so on. A lot of it really does depend on the person I'm speaking with. So I may recommend a movie for you that I would not recommend for your daughter who is still in school. And so I would say that for mature Christians, there are a number of films that I think are really worth them thinking through critically. And even if they're produced by non-Christians, which some of the films that I'm going to recommend are not, I think that these are films that will challenge us to, to ask, what does Christ have to do with, with this story? So here, here are some, some movies that I think could be really encouraging. And I taught a film course, a philosophy of film course this last year. And so I had to do some of this soul searching, thinking about, okay, what movies do I want my seniors to be really thinking through on a, a philosophical and theological level. So I could mention a bunch, but I'll just mention three or four. There is a movie that was made in 2016 called The Founder, and it's with Michael Keaton, and it's about the founding of McDonald's, and it follows Ray Kroc, and this is a fascinating film, and one that I think parents could even have discussions with, with their, their older children, maybe in uh, high school. And uh, this is a great question, or this, excuse me, this is a great film that brings up themes about ambition and about the American dream. And so that's a, that's one of my favorites. I would also direct people to, to Alfred Hitchcock. He wrote, uh, excuse me, he didn't write, he he directed a film called Rope, and this was done in 1948. 
And this film is not necessarily one that all the critics love, but it's one that I think is very important and and powerful. And it's about uh, two individuals who decide to to kill another person because they think that they are superior. And so as we've been talking about, you know, worldviews and about this idea of ideas having consequences, this is a movie that really for lack of better words, incarnates that principle. And I don't want to say much more, but this is an Alfred Hitchcock film that I think is is excellent. And then two films that I think actually are more anti-Christian that I do think that Christians should think through uh, would be The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. This was a 1998 film. And Many of us have already seen this. This was a a popular film and and still is a popular film. But what I would say for for Christians wanting to to think through movies and challenge themselves is look for the biblical imagery in this film, for the, 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 the names of the characters, and think about the different places. There's a lot of allusions to the biblical story. And then I would say, ask yourself, how is the filmmaker using these illusions? Is he using these illusions to uphold the Christian story or to do something else? Another great uh, film that is also, um, I would say, subversive to the Christian story is the movie War for the Planet of the Apes. And this is the third in a trilogy of a reboot of the, the classic Planet of the Apes series. And the same advice for, for this film is look for the Christian imagery and ask yourself, how is the filmmaker using it to uphold it or to subvert the Christian faith? And there's a lot more that I, I'd recommend um, on, a, on a routine basis. We publish lists on our blog about 13 great movies that that you should watch or or 10 great movies and so uh, there's a, a number of lists that if um, that if our viewers want to or listeners want to um, to get a hold of that I think that could be a, a great resource as well mm, I love that <clears throat> excuse me and we will um, like I say we'll get the the website information in the show notes uh, so you can check those out you know something you mentioned that, I think is really subtle or people don't realize it is that idea of worldview of the director or author mm-hmm. and, and how that plays itself out in, in what we watch or what we read. And then you put together, uh, you, you've, uh, you've had some uh, speaking engagements, some other content where you talked about sort of this engaging the Trojan horse idea. And and that sort of plays into that, doesn't it? In terms of, uh, I, I would love for, if, if you're open to it, just sharing a little bit about that idea and about that, you know, protagonist, antagonist, main character, villain kind of worldview imagery. Although I think that may be two questions, but yeah, I would love to, to get your take on that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the idea of the Trojan horse and its connection to stories and worldviews is an important one and has kind of become a, a talking point for me as I try and help people understand the power of stories and, and 
kind of the sneakiness of of stories. And so I liked to go back to that great myth of uh, the sack of Troy and and Eric, you know, you know, you know the story of this great horse, this wooden horse lands on the shore of Troy and the leaders of the of the city of Troy come out and they investigate it and they think boy this is awesome this must be a gift from the gods and so they decide to bring this wooden horse into their gates and if you were to see Wolfgang Peterson's version of of Troy it's not a a great film although the images are pretty interesting if you were to just google Troy Wolfgang Peterson. You could see some of these images, but there's this great image of them bringing the horse, the wooden horse into the city. And then all into the evening, they, the people are rejoicing and they're dancing and they're just so excited that, you know, the gods have blessed them. And then they go to bed, they put their heads on their pillows and thought, boy, we are blessed. And then night sets in and from the belly of this horse are elite Greek warriors that come out and end up sacking the city. And so this just becomes an analogy of this idea that all stories are Trojan horses. And at the belly of every story is a worldview or a perspective on the world. And so many of our listeners um, understand what you know what a worldview is, but I'll kind of just reiterate this. But a, a worldview is a perspective on the world, and this worldview can be something that the person has explicitly thought about, or maybe it's just an assumption in their head. It's it could be um, a a view of the world that maybe they never really thought about much just how they were raised and their education. It's just, this is the lens that they look at uh, or they look through to see the world. And in this worldview are these basic questions like what is a human being or who is God or what is the cosmos? And these questions, whether they're answered explicitly or they are they are never really thought about. They frame how a person views the world. And there is no human being at all who doesn't have a worldview or a perspective on the world. And so it is important to understand that when a filmmaker or a set of filmmakers come to a film to produce it or to write it or direct it, they are bringing with them a specific perspective on the world, a worldview. And so inside of the Trojan horse, there is a worldview hidden within that story. And C.S. Lewis talked about the power of stories when he said that a story has the power to sneak past watchful dragons. So Eric, I may try to convince you um, about something that you disagree with me with. And I may come to you and, and lecture at you. And what that's going to do in our time, our, our age right now, is it's going to put your defenses up. But if I were to tell you a story, often the stories are going to be much more persuasive. And so stories, they mask themselves in delight. 
And we think about our movies, like why do we watch movies? Well, for the most part, they're enjoyable. Or why do we sit down and we read a novel? Because they're fun. Uh, It's engaging. Absolutely. And so this analogy of the Trojan horse is a, is a, a helpful one when I think about how we get people to think more carefully about the stories and, and the art that they consume on a daily basis. That's powerful. Now, based on what you're saying, it sounds like there's, there is no neutral film or book, like everything from things that two-year-olds watch to things that, you know, discerning 70-year-olds watch, everything in between, every nothing is neutral. Is am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right because we all have these assumptions or these beliefs about how the world works that we can't escape. To be human means we have a perspective on the world. And I would say that perspectives on the world or worldviews come out more explicitly in some types of art than others. So if I were to, you know, sit down and paint a a landscape, that's going to be less revealing of my worldview or perspective on the world than if I were to sit down and produce a film in which I have different characters acting out different belief systems and I'm putting down um, dialogue and I'm um, giving a, a rise and fall to, to the plot. But in any type of creativity, there is going to be evidence of a worldview. So you're right. There is no neutral um, approach to the arts or no piece of artwork is neutral in terms of worldview. And so for everybody listening, it's important that we realize that. It doesn't mean, though, that we need to reject all stories, right? Uh, you know, in terms of and all movies and say, oh, because they could be subversive, they could have this funky worldview, therefore we need to reject all of it outright. Dan, would you, is, is that true? Do, or yes. is that where we apply that discernment, poor, yes. uh, that, the discernment function? I totally, I totally agree. And, and I think that that can be sometimes the approach or the response to movies, because we see that there's, you know, there's some artwork that clearly undermines the Christian story or attempts to. And that doesn't mean that there's not other artwork that we can enjoy and appreciate. Now, one more question. And I say just one more, this one, this one may be big because you had, I've seen some of the content you've put together that's just phenomenal uh, around this question. So I would definitely, if if it's available, you definitely direct the audience to it. But you had shared with me in the past and written up things talking about kind of three different stories. Uh, you had talked about like a whole story, a broken story, and a bent story. And that was something I had never heard of or really thought about. And would you be open to just sharing a little bit about what those three types of stories are um, and how they work? Oh, yes, I'd love to. And if I could, I'd love to to frame it in in, a, in an approach to understanding stories. Please do. Uh, that's yeah. all right with you. Yeah, and I'll oh, kind of yeah, connect do. it. I'll go ahead and connect it with the, the Trojan horse analogy. And so if, all right, listeners, if, if you can think back on the myth of of the Trojan horse. Uh, I want to kind of walk you through 
what it looks like for us as discerning Christians to think about a story from a Christian perspective. And so the first step is what I call search. Second step is assess. And the third step is advance. And so the types of stories, whole, bent, broken, which you just referenced, Eric, connect is connected with this first step. And in this first step, we are searching. We are identifying with the guards who are on the Trojan shore. So just imagine we've got the the, the city of Troy and their job as soldiers, as guards, is to be watch watchful about what is going on in front of them. And so the first thing that they would do is that they would see, look, this wooden horse has landed on the shore. Now their job is to simply identify what it is. It's above their pay grade to understand what it is, but it is perfectly in line with their job to say, hey, something is here. I'm going to pass on the basic nature of it to the leaders in the city. So in this step, in searching, a Christian is going to ask some basic questions about the story or about the film. So they're going to ask questions like, what does the main character want? Uh, what is the main character's um, great obstacle? Um, who is the nemesis? And what type of a story is this? So there's a lot of different ways that we could break stories down into. And uh, when I speak with artists, they don't really love me saying there's three types of stories uh, because it's just not that black and white for them. Uh, and I understand. And this is really just the beginning of some talking points for us to, to stir discussion and, and think through this. But I like to think about stories being either whole, bent, or broken. And so a whole story is a story in which good is portrayed as good and evil as evil, and they're distinct. And in the end of the story, good defeats evil. So pretty straightforward. We can think about stories like the Bible <laughs> or, or the Lord of the Rings or, or Narnia. But then we also have stories that are called bent stories. And bent stories are stories in which good is actually portrayed as evil. And evil is actually portrayed as good. And in the end, either one could win. Because what is really taking place is that the, the author or the filmmaker is trying to, to not be very clear about what is good and what is evil. Either they don't understand what is good or evil, or they're trying to come across with the point that we can't know what is good and evil. And so... That is very popular today. If you were to turn on Netflix, a lot of the new original Netflix films or um, the films that Amazon Prime is, is putting out, the original content, they're often bent in nature. And an example of a, of a film would be like Ocean's Eleven, where we find ourselves actually rooting for the bad guy. And it's brilliant because in Ocean's Eleven, all of the bad guys, the bank robbers, they're good looking and they're funny and they're whimsical. And we're like, I can't help but want them to steal this money. And then further, I can't help but want them to get away with it. <laughs> and so that's the power. And I don't know if you've sensed that, uh, Eric, but uh, that's the power mm -hmm. of those, those bent films. 
And and then the final type of story is a broken story. And so a broken story is going to be one in which good is still portrayed as good and an evil is still portrayed as evil. But in the end, evil actually wins. And so a great example of a broken story would be the book of Judges, right? So we have a clear example of, of who is good. The, the Israelites, they are trying to do um, what God wants them to do. And, um, and evil are all these other nations that are trying to, uh, trying to conquer them. Um, but because of the Israelites' sin, they get in this terrible cycle where they have to continually cry out to God for help. But at the end of the book, the author states that there was no king in the land and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you, you close the book of Judges and it's like a piano has just been thrown onto your chest. <laughs> You're just like, wow, this is weighty stuff. Evil has just won. Like, what is, like, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm hopeless. <laughs> and that's that's the power of broken stories. And so I would argue that broken stories have a purpose in the kingdom of God, obviously, because God authored one, the book of Judges. And uh, broken stories kind of, they speak to this idea of, of hope. Uh, they, they end with evil winning, but often in broken stories, there's maybe a glimmer of hope uh, for, for the future. So those are the three types of stories, and that's an important component of that first step in, in trying to understand the worldview of a movie or any type of stories by asking, what type of a story is this? And then the, the second step is to assess. And so this would be the, the role of the soldiers or the leadership in the city of Troy. They really failed this one. They saw a wooden horse, right, uh, that has landed on their shore and they made a faulty assumption. They really should have just taken a spear and opened up the belly of this horse and they would have found some elite soldiers and they wouldn't have brought it into the heart of their city. But instead, they made some faulty assumptions about, wow, the gods must be for us. And that had uh, great devastating effects. So it's in this part, um, really assessing the nature of the story. And this is where we ask some really important questions. We move beyond some of the basic elements of a story, like what does the character want? What type of story it is? Um, what biblical imagery do we have going on here? But now it's asking, how does this film answer some of those basic worldview questions? So does this story say anything about what a human being is or what a human being should want? Or often, what does it say about the world we live in? Is the world only material or is there spiritual realm? And so on. And so this is where we bring that biblical lens and we ask ourselves, uh, how does the the philosophy behind this story align with, with scripture. And then the third and final step is just what we call the advance. So once the leadership has made a decision on this horse is worthy to be brought inside of the gates of the city or lit on fire and destroyed, 
the leadership then tells the guards to do something. And it's at this point where we move to advance. And this is where we as Christians decide, uh, what of this story are we going to keep? Maybe we find in a story that, hey, there's some nuggets of what is true, good, and beautiful in this. Or maybe most of it is is just trash. And so we're just going to throw this story. Uh, we're just going to ignore it and, and no longer um, make that part of the story, part of our worldview and bring it into our hearts and our imaginations. So search, assess, and in advance. Those are those are the, the three steps to how I um, train people to engage the Trojan horse or how to think about stories from a Christian perspective. And those are those are important things to to think on. And and you might be listening to this going, man, that's just like way too deep, way too overwhelming. But the reality is that because like like you were saying earlier, Dane, story has a way of moving us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Story has a way of connecting with us emotionally. Uh, it, it's not a logical thing. It, it moves us forward. Yeah. And so, like you say, if we, if we don't go through some evaluation, suddenly we can be moved in directions we don't realize. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, essays usually aim for the head and then sometimes trickle down to the heart the emotions, the imagination, but stories, they go directly for the hearts. Like you were saying, they go directly for our imagination and our emotions, and they often just totally bypass the mind. So as Christians, we need to bring those things together. We need to have a, um, a, a healthy love for the mind and a healthy love for the emotions. Um, and we can't let um, our, our thinking or our viewing separate those things because it really can be destructive. Mm, I agree. And it's that idea of we need to, to have that, that thoughtful reflection, right? We, we yes, just don't want to check our brains at the door, uh, which I think I'm just going to at least speak for the culture in which we live in these United States. I think that is very much the standard is to sort of check our brains as opposed mm. to have some discerning and reflective thought. Is would you agree, or am I am I totally off? No, you're you're absolutely right. And I would also say, though, if there's any artists in you know in our listening audience, um, you might be like, man, you're just you're killing my mojo, man. Um, <laughs> I, are you wanting me to like search, assess, advance, pretend I'm a, you know, a guard and a leader while I'm trying to create something? Uh, obviously the answer is no. I, I would, I would say that this idea of the Trojan horse goes the other way too. I, I would say, and this is kind of bold that I would say when Jesus told stories that he was sending out his own Trojan horses, mm. that, that, the world or, or Satan is not the only one who can create and craft stories that are are powerful and and persuasive. 
but it does all come down to the perspective or the worldview that is hidden in the belly. I don't know if we have time. Would it be all right if I told one more quick story? Yeah, here? please do. Yeah, please do. One of one of my favorite passages in Scripture is in Second Samuel, and and you may remember this when Nathan has to confront David for his sin, and. Nathan could have confronted David in a number of different ways. He could have yelled at him or he could have preached at him. He could have he could have read something from a paper, but instead what he does is he tells a story. And it's a fictional story. And what this story does is it draws David in and it puts his defenses down, just like CS Lewis said about uh, engaging, you know, watchful dragons or sneaking past watchful dragons. And what Nathan does is that he persuades David and catches him off guard so that David gets very angry and says, justice needs to be done to this person who has taken these inno- this innocent sheep or this lamb. And, and Nathan says, David, you are that man. And so here's just one example of of a biblical author using the power of story for good. And so he sent a Trojan horse to land on the shore of David. Um, And in the belly of that that Trojan horse was a, a worldview that was true, good, and beautiful that needed to speak truth to David. And I think if we look at scripture, we see many other examples uh, in a similar way. So, so speaking in, in, in um, well-structured arguments is not the only way to persuade and to convince and to communicate. But stories is, is a, a powerful medium that Christians can and should use to promote the kingdom of God and the Christian worldview. I like that. It's it's that idea of God created story, right? Yes. It, he tells story in His Word. Uh, he uses that that tool, and so we as believers, we should not forego that tool, right? Mm-hmm. We should right. use story, but use it in a way that is glorifying to God. That that uses just like you say that that reverse Trojan horse, so to speak, of yeah. biblical worldview underlying it. And, you know, that example from Second Samuel is, is perfect because it, it hits the emotion. Ah, then you get the aha and it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's that beautiful example. And so, you know, for everybody listening, um, yeah, story's powerful. And so we should not abdicate our use of it, right? We shouldn't reject right. story. We should uh, use it discerningly, uh, but we, we should use it in a way um, to, to glorify God and to convey the worldview uh, of the Bible uh, to those around us. So um, we are we're about out of time. So this has been a great conversation. If people want to know uh, more about stage and story, find your materials, your content, where would you like them to go? Well, the easiest place to go would be stageandstory.org. And um, my email address is, is dane.bundy at stageandstory.org. So I would love to, to hear from any of you and uh, have a dialogue. If you'd like to, to take part in one of our small groups, send me an email and we can get you get you connected. But uh, if you're also looking for some resources, whether it's for for you as an adult or for your children, we've got a lot of resources on our website and 
That web address is stageandstory.org backslash resources. And we've got to, we've got a booklet engaging the Trojan horse booklet that I wrote, and we've got our podcast and lots of movie reviews and some even some videos on how to think biblically about the stories around us. Excellent. Well, we will get we will make sure all that information uh, is available in the show notes. So if you're listening, click on it, access it, read it, use it. It's some tremendous, uh, tremendous information. And man, it can go a long way towards equipping you because it has me helping me see art and story in a more discerning biblical way. So uh, I can't encourage you enough to check it out. So uh, Dane, it has been uh, a pleasure having you on the show today. I'm so thankful uh, you accepted the invite. Eric, my pleasure. I always enjoy connecting with you and uh, this has been a great time. It has flown by. It has. Yeah. I was like, wow, we've, we've covered some, we've covered some ground. So it's been good. So, so thankful you were on. God bless you, my friend. Wow. Great conversation with Dane. Uh, Three things really that kind of jump out at me. First, the Christian imagination is informed by the Christian worldview, and we develop it by pursuing Christ to know Him and really soak ourselves in the Scripture. So, worldview, again, comes up. Christian imagination really is informed and guided by our by a Christian worldview as we see it through the Scriptures. Second is that idea of the three things that, imp- that you know, really kind of work into a piece of art, that craft, content, and impact, and how those have, you know, significance uh, within a piece of art. Lastly, I love his distinctions between the three story types and how we need to be aware when we read a book, when we watch a movie, when we stream a show, what those are, the, the whole broken and bent with whole being the good guy, good is good, bad is bad, and good wins in the end. Broken, good is good, evil is evil, and evil wins in the end. And then the bent stories, where good is evil and evil is good. And we have so many stories today being created with this bent theme. So we need to be aware of what the storyteller is really trying to do and what they are trying to influence us to think. So great conversation with Dane. Check uh, check out his website, stageandstory.org. All that information is going to be in the show notes. He has a bunch of resources. Check out his podcast uh, really to get equipped and encouraged. If you found this episode helpful, please leave a review for us wherever you listen to podcasts. Doing so will help others to find us. Uh, check out the show notes for resource information. We encourage you to do that for links and other references. We'd like to hear from you so you can message us your questions or comments on Facebook, Instagram, and Entrusting the Faith. You can email us at info at 
you go to our website, which is www.entrustingthefaith.com, you can sign up to our email list and receive free resources as well as upcoming podcast episode information. So check it out. Lastly, just remember, legacies are built a day at a time. So start now.